heard them many times as we've worked through John, through the letter of John, where he has told us in multiple places, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that happens only in Christ, but we can stand in the grace of Christ uh, and stand boldly on that grace. That's our hope and our comfort this morning. Amen. Let's now turn to the Word of God. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. The text that we'll especially focus on is the uh, verses 16 through 21, but we'll read the entire chapter so we might hear those verses in context. 1 John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 106, stanzas 1 and 8 through 10. 
The text to which we'll be giving our special attention this morning is 1 John 5, the verses 16 through 21. They, they are only a few verses, so let's read them again as we prepare to hear them explained. 1 John 5, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So far, the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, we've come then to the final sermon in our long series in First John, our first sermon in this letter was three, day, or three years ago, almost to the very day that we started December 11, 2016, so we've now uh, completed three years, and I hope that you have found this letter uh, to be as enriching and also as convicting uh, as I have. Uh, there's great encouragement, but there are also strong warnings to, to turn our eyes always back to Christ. Uh, Now, the purpose of this letter throughout the whole letter uh, has been to encourage us in our Christian convictions. That's what John says outright uh, in the verses right before our text in verse 13 of chapter 5. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to Christians. I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. So that's John's purpose and has been his purpose throughout. Uh, one of the great struggles of the Christian church in that day uh, was the influx or I- infiltration of all sorts of cults and sects that uh, intruded into the church and broke the church from within, leading many people to break off from the church. Uh, they would have affiliated themselves with all sorts of wisdom teachers and philosophies uh, and cults, uh, and, and they would have all claimed, we have the truth, and you have Christ, that's good, that's a step in the right direction, but you need us, you need our wisdom or our philosophy or our approach to life, or you won't have eternal life. Uh, and all of these cults were making those sorts of claims. I mean, when you think about it, It's a very powerful strategy that Satan used to attack the church. Uh, Never mind the persecution from the outside, from the Jews and the Romans, probably the the most serious threat to the church uh, was the infiltration of heresies and errors and cults that sought to break the church to cause confusion from within the church. Uh, and when you think about it, it really is amazing that the true church, the apostolic church, uh, continued through, uh, through those centuries. 
Uh, and that really has been John's purpose throughout, uh, to, to, cause, to, to teach the Christians, hold on to the truth and the truth that you've heard from the beginning. That's why this letter uh, begins with the introduction uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's saying, this this was the original gospel. This is the message you first heard. Don't stray from that. No matter what things you hear, what people want to lead you astray, how impressive or wise they sound, do not leave the truth that you heard from us. Uh, John was probably the, the last disciple, the last of the original disciples to die. Uh, and so he's uh, recognizing once I'm gone, there will no longer be any of the original apostles left. Uh, and that means the Christian church will need to hold on to what they heard from us in the beginning. Uh, so that's been John's big message all the way through. Uh, and along with that, one of the things we've heard over and over and over in this letter is the command of Jesus to love one another. Uh, we've had a great number of sermons in this series on that point because that message just keeps coming back again and again. First uh, John 3, verse 11, This is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Uh, so there's an there's a original gospel message, and there's an original gospel ethic. Uh, and those are the things that John has been driving home again and again. The message is, Jesus is the Son of God. The ethic is love one another. Uh, God himself, John says, is love. If you don't love, you don't know God. With all that being said, then, we, f- we come to the final uh, verses of this letter, uh, and, and when we think of the bigger themes, then, then I think these final verses make more sense. We start to realize what John is doing in these last verses is he's warning them uh, one last time, don't chase after, don't fall for anything that would lead you astray from the true God. Those are the idols. The very last verse in this text is, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And what are those idols? Anything that leads you from the true God. Now in that context, he also, one of his final words is, pray. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. He says in verse 16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, He shall ask, and God will give him life. Now, as we hear that, before we get into some of the interesting sides of that verse, um, we should hear that in context, what he's saying. Um, If you remember in the verses right before this text, which we looked at last time, John's made this big promise that if we know God through Christ, then we know that he hears our prayers and will give what we are asking provided it's in accordance with his will. Uh, that was verse 13, this is, or 14. This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. That's how he frames this. And then he says, now here's a request you should be making to God. If you see your brother in sin, pray to God. And here's the promise, God will give him life. We know we have the requests that we've asked of God. Now, uh, that also helps us understand the qualification that John is making. He's saying, that's true. God will answer that prayer provided 
It is the sort of sin that does not lead to death. Now, what's this all about? Uh, this text has, has been called one of the most difficult texts in Scripture. I'm sure you can understand why, which also means we're probably not going to fully unravel its meaning here. Some humility about that is probably appropriate. Uh, that being said, there are some things we can say. Uh, in terms of the distinction between sins that lead to death and sins that do not lead to death, uh, I think the best approach here is to read this in light of other scripture texts that speak in, in similar ways. Uh, we might think of Matthew 12 and Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10, verses that talk about sin that does not ever have uh, opportunity again for repentance. Or uh, Matthew 12, Jesus talks about the, the unforgivable sin. Uh, and it's unforgivable precisely because it's the sort of sin that walks away from God for good and does not turn back to God in repentance. Uh, this is high-handed rebellion against God such that God ultimately gives a person over to their sin. And I think we can support that uh, reading also of, of in, in this context because in the very next verses he says, we know that those who are born of God do not continue in their sin. And so what's the sin that leads to death? It's the sort of sin that, that persists to the end because a person is not born of God. Uh, so that's, that's the uh, distinction uh, that he is making. And the reason that that, that sin, that high-handed rebellion against God, ultimately leads to death, uh, and, and the reason there's no forgiveness for that sin, uh, is because when it happens, God may choose to give someone over to their sin. He says, I've had enough. You've, you've been obstinate. You've rebelled. You've persisted in, in refusing help for long enough. I give you over to your sin. And that can happen when a sinner obstinately, persistently rejects Christ, rejects the truth. It can happen that God says, okay, enough. And he gives that person over. And when that happens, there's no hope for repentance. Because we recognize, especially as a Reformed church, uh, repentance is a gift from God. It's a gift that God gives. If God doesn't give that gift, one cannot be saved. Uh, and so God may say to, to those who persist long enough, I've had enough, uh, and give them over to their sin. So most interpreters understand that to be what John is speaking of as the sin that leads to death. It's the sin from a hard heart that's unconverted and ultimately persists to the very end in, in that sin. Uh, so it's not one specific sin uh, or one specific set of sins, uh, but rather a, a persistence and obstinence uh, in, in sin. Now, that's the uh, majority view. I think that's the correct view. Uh, and we don't have any other place in Scripture that speaks of, of, of these sorts of different categories. And we shouldn't build a whole doctrine uh, upon a single verse like that. Now, the real challenge in this text, though, uh, is the question, what does John mean then by saying, I do not say that you should pray for that? It leads to the question, doesn't it? How, how do we know? How do we know whom God has given over to their sin? How do we know who's committed this sin that leads to death? 
we might be able to look at someone who's walked away from the faith uh, and maybe even hardened in sin over the years, and, and we might well suspect that God has given them over, but at what point do you stop praying for them? Where else in Scripture does it say, stop praying for uh, these people, and, and you won't find uh, anywhere else? Well, here's where uh, I actually believe that the translators are misunderstanding what John is saying. And I want to walk you through that. Uh, it's a little bit technical, but I, I hope this is easy enough for us, because I do think this matters. There are those who build an entire doctrine of who to pray for and who not to pray for, on these verses, and, and we shouldn't go down that road. Uh, so you'll notice uh, the, the word for pray uh, in verses 16 and 17 are different words. You can see that in the ESV as well. Uh, the first time it's translated ask, uh, and the, the second time it's translated pray. Uh, and what that shows is there, there are different underlying words in the Greek. And actually, neither of them are the normal word for prayer. Neither of them. There is a common word for pray, uh, referring to prayer to God, and neither of, of, of the words here is that word. Uh, so the first word in verse 16, it's the Greek word aiteo, which simply means to ask. To ask. Uh, and it almost always refers to making a request. It's the same word you find only in the, in the previous verse. We know that we have the requests that we have asked. So the things we've asked for. Uh, so I believe that's translated correctly. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. So far, so good. But the second word in verse 17 is the Greek word erotao, which almost always refers not to making a request, but to making an inquiry. So it's not, prayer is not a good translation. Uh, so understand the difference. The first is making a request, asking for something. The second has to do with making an inquiry. And, and I believe the second word should be translated to inquire rather than pray. If we read the text that way, I think the, the mystery uh, starts to unravel. Uh, listen to it again. If, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give that brother life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should inquire about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So here's what's going on. Uh, if we remember the context, John's making this amazing promise that if we know God it, through Christ, he hears our prayers and answers our prayers. We have the requests that we've asked. Uh, and here he's giving us a specific thing to pray for. If you see your brother in sin, pray for him, and God will give him life, provided that he's not committing the sort of sin, which you cannot know, but the sort of sin uh, in which God has given him over to his sin. Uh, so John is qualifying this promise. There is a sin that leads to death, uh, and if that's what's happening in this case, if God's given that person over, then understand God is not going to answer that prayer because God's given that person over. Don't be discouraged in your praying. If you see God not answering that prayer, it may be that that's what God is doing. 
And so he acknowledges there is a difference between uh, these, these situations. There are sins that do not lead to death, not that they're less sinful, but because that person is born again. They will turn. They will repent uh, in due time. God will lead them back. That's what he says in the next verses. He who is born of God won't continue in that sin. Uh, Christians do sin. It doesn't automatically mean they're condemned. But there is a sin, and this is the key point, that God knows will ultimately lead to death uh, because God's given that person over. Uh, And what John is saying in verse 17 is, don't bother inquiring about that. He's saying, I'm not saying that because this distinction exists, that you should now be going to God, asking Him, inquiring of Him, God, is this a situation where you've given this person over? He says, "Don't, don't inquire about that. Pray for those who are in sin, but understand that there are some uh, who who will not be saved because God has given them over. Uh, So John is not, I don't believe, telling us uh, who to pray for and who not to pray for. You don't find that anywhere else in Scripture. He's simply saying, pray with confidence, believing that God will save your brother, but at the same time, do recognize there are cases where God doesn't. Don't be discouraged if that should happen. That being the case then, we shouldn't miss, because of the perplexity of this verse, we shouldn't miss the clear thing that John is saying, which is that the prayer of the righteous, as James says, has great power as it is working. As we make intercession for each other, God hears those prayers and God answers those prayers. God hears them in Christ. If you see your brother in sin, pray for him. Pray for her. And God, John says, God will give him life. Pray. God answers that prayer. Now, there are exceptions. John, that's what verse 17 is all about. There are exceptions. But understand, God does answer those prayers. Uh, God cares and he promises he will answer. that, that being said, then, John, John goes on to explain uh, every true Christian, everyone who is born of God, will not persist in sin. Uh, those who are born of God will eventually turn from their sin. Though they might fall into that sin, they will not continue in it forever. Uh, those who are born of God are protected by Him, he says, and the evil one cannot touch them. Uh, this, is, this is an amazing uh, biblical truth. Uh, you find it in many places. It's what we in the Reformed Church call the perseverance of the saints. It so happens that uh, in our catechism classes, in the senior class, we're going through this doctrine uh, right now. Uh, and, and, and the big idea is, is God holds on to his own. He makes someone new. He does not let go of them. They are the works of his hands, and he does not abandon the works of his hands. With that being said, then John paints the big picture in in the last verses in our text. He says in verse 19, The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That is, ever since the fall into sin, mankind has been under the rule and dominion of, of Satan. But the Son of God has come into this world and given us understanding so that we would not only recognize him as the true and eternal God, but also through him have life and be made into a new creation. Now, all those who are born of God uh, are brought out from the rule and dominion of Satan. They won't continue 
in sin. Uh, Even though, yes, they do sin, their sins do not lead to their death. God delivers them from their sins. God gives them new life. God holds on to them, and Satan cannot touch them. And that, brothers and sisters, is amazing comfort. Uh, God will not let go of us uh, who believe in Christ. Uh, God does not abandon the works of his hands. And you might, uh, that might lead us to ask, well, how do we know who are those people? How do we know we belong to those people? Uh, and John's answer is so simple. Uh, it's what I love about the whole of this letter from John. It, he, he keeps it simple. Now, there, sure, there are all sorts of objections. You can raise all sorts of exceptions, but John just keeps it simple. How do we know that we are born again? John's answer is because we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's how you know. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Then that conviction is a conviction given by God. And that means you are born of God. And it really is that simple. If you know Jesus Christ as the Son of God, you are born from God. You are born again. And that means God will not let go of you. And we can think of what what a comfort that must have been for the early Christians, uh, struggling with assurance because of all these sects and cults that infiltrated into the church that told them, oh, you don't have eternal life yet. You need this or or that or or the next thing. Uh, And John says, no. No, you've you've heard the message in the beginning. You believe in Jesus Christ. That means you, you are born of God. You have eternal life. Satan cannot snatch you out of the Father's hands. And that's still the message today. Those who, who know Jesus as the Son of God are born of Him. And God hears their prayers and never lets go of them. And that's what we need to hear as well, isn't it? That's what this table is, is here for. Christ instituted this supper for that very same reason, so that as we come to His table and we sit in His presence uh, with Him at the head uh, and we hear His words, My body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you, and, and you belong to me, and I to you. Uh, that's what this message uh, is, is all about, and that's what this table proclaims. Uh, no cult, no sect, no, no false teaching should ever be permitted to disturb us from the, the words of comfort that Christ gives us at this table. And that's why John concludes the letter he does, little, the, the way that he does, uh, little children, keep yourselves from idols. If you've known the true God in Jesus Christ, then you have eternal life. Don't let anything distract you or lead you away from that. Keep yourselves from idols. The true God is right here at this table calling you, revealed in Jesus Christ, and inviting you to his table. Everything else is idols. Any other religion, any other philosophy, it's idols. Don't let them shake your conviction and, ro- and rob you of your comfort. God is here. God's here in his word, and God's here at this table. That's the message you heard from the beginning. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing together from...